Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hi, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Welcome on back 2018. Well, hello. Well, come on again, old friend 2018. Hello, new friend. All the new friend 2018. 2017 weren't no friend of mine, but 2018, hey, good looking. 2018, why don't you slide on over the pew towards me? I don't know why we're sitting on a church pew. You know what I realized? Mm -hmm. Today is the anniversary of when we joined the Maximum Fun Network. That is true. Wow, yeah. So nice to be here. So nice for you to join us. And uh, we're really excited to get back in the the old saddle this time. Uh, Thank you for indulging us as we took last week off. Um, But we would have been insufferable if we had recorded an episode like the day after Christmas. It would have been like, presents! And ribbons and ham. Maybe people would have liked that. I don't know. It would have just been me screaming about ham. I could do a whole ham bit if you want. You definitely could. If anybody could, it'd be you. What's that supposed to mean, huh? That I'm a big ham fan? <laughs> You're just good at bits. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, I'm excited to get going. You want to get going? Yes. This is wonderful. This is a podcast. Some of you might have tuned in today expecting us to talk about The Bachelor because <laughs> the vulture, the vulture, is that what they go by? It makes mm-hmm. them sound like a freaking Spider-Man villain. They re-ran an old article they'd put together on the best uh, Bachelor-themed podcast. Which I can understand people's confusion if they did tune in thinking that because up until about 1 p.m. today, our description was wrong. It was wrong for quite a long time, <laughs> but... um yeah, thank you so much for for tuning in. This is a show where we talk about things that we love and things that we think are great. And we talk about some of the things that you think are great. And that's really all the show is now. So uh, we hope that you enjoy it. I feel like I just sold us a short trip. That's all it is. Whatever. No, we're very, we love doing this show. It is massive in proportion, I would say. What is? We the love show? Like things. we have a lot of the like, listeners. The potential of the show. Yeah, we're doing Bonnaroo, headline Bonnaroo (laughs) this year. Uh, It's us. (laughs) Can you imagine? It's the two of us on stage. It's like, you know what's great? Candy necklaces. Am I right? Am I right? (laughs) People are like, we can't hear you over the chain smokers a mile away. Like, I know. I'm sorry. Um, So I think it's my turn to start. Yes. Okay. I have two music things this time. Um, Ooh, but they're not getting into the music thing. I've noticed. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say I like <laughs> one of my main interests is music. Before um, this, it was calligraphy, and then he just and then I somebody played me a song, and I was like, "Is this music?" <laughs> I could bring uh, Gabriel Gundacker is a, a, a internet personality comedian person who uh, I found on Vine who had a series called "Guy Who Doesn't Know What Music Is." This is not my first oh, thing, yeah. but it was just a guy like, this is, is this good. Music? What is this? This is music. That's great. Is that music? No, that's a plant. Does the plant do mute? It doesn't. Okay. <laughs> um, my first thing though is a game and it's called drop mix. Oh, how perfect. Drop mix came out last year and I didn't really pay a ton of attention to it, uh, which is weird because it is made by a company named Harmonix and Harmonix is whole jam is making these rhythm video games. Typically, uh, they I did dance central, right? They did dance central. A it's amazing how many, like how consistent they were in this sort of genre because they did a bunch of hits all in a row. They started out with a series called uh, frequency and amplitude, which is just kind of like a music performing game that you used a controller and, uh, put together tracks of songs. And it was very, very cool, like early PS2 era days. And then they did a rock band. That was the thing that I feel like if you know who Harmonix is, it's probably through the rock band franchise one, two or three or rock band Van Halen or rock band the Beatles, which was so fantastic. Um, I loved rock band. Like that was kind of what set me on fire for rhythm games because it blended two of my favorite things, which is like, making stuff like it feels like you're making music if you haven't played rock band before it uses those plastic instrument peripherals so somebody's on drums and then there's a guitarist and a bassist and somebody's singing i think rock band two or three introduced keyboards and i i loved uh, making stuff but also playing video games with my friends that's like my favorite way to play games and so like that was one of my favorite franchises of all times it also kind of got me into playing music i started to like play the plastic drums of that game a lot um, like practicing and like learning like rhythm, basically. Oh, yeah, and they were totally worn out by the time I saw them. Right? Oh, I went through like three or four. <laughs> I actually developed like relationships with like somebody on the harmonics team who are like, oh, you destroyed another drum pedal again, huh? <laughs> I think they sent me like one of their, as a review unit, like one of their like heavy cast iron foot pedals because I think I had complained to their uh, customer service department too much. Anyway, 
so I love this company. They also did, uh, they've, they've done a bunch of these cool rhythm games, including Dance Central, which is like a hit among our group of friends. It is a very fun connect based dancing game. Drop Mix is kind of in the same vein where it is not a video game per se. You do use your phone, but it connects to a big board and the board has five slots on it that you play cards on. And each card represents a fragment of a song. Um, so it could be the violin part of Call Me Maybe, or it could be the drums from The Mother We Share by Churches, uh, or the, uh, keyboards from, uh, Chandelier by Sia, uh, or the guitar part from Run DMC's It's Tricky, or, or any, the vocals too. Or the vocals, yeah. uh, which is some of the most impressive stuff they do is with the vocals. Uh, so it could be, uh, I Will Survive, the vocals for that. And you play all five of these together and, it makes a song and it always sounds good. These loops, uh, the game has a way of like transposing them and putting them in the same tempo so that it always, always sounds, if not good, like a song, no matter what. It always, always works. Um, and there's a couple like game modes to the game. There's like a clash mode where you and other player like play cards against each other. And then there's like a party mode where you're all working together to put a song together. But the real magic is the way that no matter what you do, it's going to sound kind of good sometimes really really good and it's it's like a kind of magic that uh i don't know why i wasn't excited about it when it came out last year until i got it for christmas uh and now i'm so into it i've spent a significant amount of money buying more cards for drop mix uh two packs of which just showed up before we started recording and i'm excited to crack into those um but what's so impressive about it is how smoothly it changes tempo and key signature for these song fragments, but it doesn't just transpose the key up and down. It converts minor to major and otherwise, which if you don't, if you're not like versed in music and you don't really understand what that means necessarily, um, imagine like call me maybe, but in a minor key. So it sounds like a funeral dirge or imagine, uh, Evanescence's wake me up inside but in a major key so it's kind of like fun and beautiful and uplifting yeah. a little bit oh and, and and the other cool thing too is that when you create these kind of unique compositions you can save them too so that major to minor switch is really fun and we've saved a lot of those we've saved a ton of those there's also wild cards that you can play that uh all of the other fragments that are down on the board at that time kind of anchor onto that card that you play and then suddenly the song changes key and tempo to match that new card, and it does so with basically a dubstep drop, which is appropriate when you play, for instance, Skrillex's Bangarang, uh, and hysterically funny when you play Genuine's Pony, which is a card that you can yeah. find and buy. Um, they've had, like, uh, you can tell how much fun they've had, like, making this game, because some of the cards that they have in, there's a card for the Doctor Who theme song. There's several cards of the Transformers theme song. Oh, that's cool. Um, it's really, really incredible, and it's so fun to play. Uh, at, during New Year's Eve, we had it set up for all of our friends. We were over at our, our, our friend's house, and they hooked it up with an aux cable to their uh, sound system, and then for, like, a couple hours there, we just had all the cards spread out on a table, and whenever people wanted, they could just walk up and drop a card on the mix and change the music everybody was listening to. And I thought it might get grading after a while. And there are ways to make it grading. Like, I'm going to play uh, the horns from this Ricky Martin song over the horns from this cake song over the horns from this other <laughs> song over the violins from Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, Fifth Symphony uh, over beatboxing. And it's like, oh, yeah, that sounds like dog shit. There are ways to, I think, make it grading but most of the time like it was really cool it was like a fun sort of party experience of just like everybody kind of being the dj a little bit and no matter what like it always kind of works and the people who i think least expected to like make some jammers made some absolute slammers and jammers yeah that's the the one thing i think griffin pointed out because i was talking about how fun it would be to listen to professional djs kind of play with this game but he made the point and it's true that it's very accessible that you don't have to have any kind of expertise can i try and play one off my phone because i have some saved mixes including the one that our friend justin minsker made over new year's eve um i don't know how good it'll sound maybe i can find a way to patch it in directly later but this is evanescence's wake me up inside in a major key with some other components i'll try to shout out as they come up this may sound like shit Mm. 
were a little drunk when that was performed. Maybe it's not as great as I originally thought it was. But still, they transposed Evanescence's Wake Me Up Inside, laid over the horns from that Ricky Martin song, laid over the drums from the, the bass from Outcast Miss Jackson. Like, the novelty of it is pretty incredible. There are other mixes on here, but I won't subject everybody else to that again. But um, it's a really fun game, and it's really, really cool. And I, I am... I'm. I feel bad that I'm this late on it because I think it's like one of the coolest things. Griffin that came out got it as year. a Christmas gift uh, from his brother Justin, and I pointed out Justin like threaded the needle so exactly of Griffin's interests, which involve collectible trading cards <laughs> and, and games and playing music and, games and, and yeah. music. Yeah, it was, it was great. It's very good. Uh, what is your first thing? I wonder. Answer, answer me this riddle. Ooh, I got that. My my tongue is a little chalky we're drinking tea we're drinking hot hot apple cinnamon tea that a fan sent us and it's very tasty but i have the chalky tongue so what's your first thing (laughs) uh i wanted to start out 2018 with some heat the heat that everyone has been waiting for (laughs) which is one of my favorite episodes of quantum leap Oh, damn. <laughs> How do you even pick those? What, can I guess? It was difficult. You know what I tried to do? Because I have a lot of favorites. Uh, and a lot of them don't work as well out of context, if you're not familiar with the yeah. series. Some of my favorites are like last season, like Evil Leaper stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so I wanted to pick something that was very symbolic of kind of a lot of what the show does. Is it the JFK arc? No. Oh, the JFK arc is so good. Much simpler. Think smaller scale. Uh, is it the Chubby Checkers no, locked in the radio station episode? No, I like that one. Come on. Uh, is it the... Think think a real tour de force. I mean, he's got a saying in it, no For Scott Bakula, yes, you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Bakula, if you're not familiar with Quantum Leap, must have had something in his contract where he's like, every other episode I get a, to croon. He had a musical theater background. Yeah, for that sure. That was what he was doing before the show. I'm not complaining. So, he's a very, very good singer. It yeah. was just like, it was, the premise of the show is that you're, you know, leaping into person after person. And it just so happens that a lot of those people are going to sing beautiful musical well, numbers. sometimes you leap into person that you don't know okay tell me who i'm 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 done guessing what is the episode season three episode one the leap home it's when he leaps into (gasps) himself as a 16 year old boy okay can you let's let's take a beat and pretend that the person listening to this has no idea what quantum leap is give him like a 15 second elevator pitch of donald belisario's sort of masterwork very light sci-fi this informed my taste in sci-fi in general uh it is a man who is brilliant has several degrees in a variety of areas but he's got a swiss cheese brain yeah yeah, including like ancient languages and physics. Uh, he is doing a time traveling experiment uh, that goes awry. He steps into the quantum leap accelerator and gets lost in time. And what he is doing is he is out of his control, leaping within his own lifetime uh, into different people, different places. Um, and helping him out of pickles. Yeah, exactly. He, him and, and his hologram guide from the present uh, have figured that his way to leap is to put right what went wrong. Do good wrong. karmic deeds. Yeah. It's a really great show because that premise is so – that premise would not hold water today, I feel like. that premise. So? No, that specifically that premise of in order for – Putting things right. In order for you to time travel, you have to do a good thing. Like that is such a like – yeah, TV so. premise. And I, it worked for Quantum Leap, and I think it's it's great. And I yeah. think it asks a lot of almost, like, theological questions that the show kind of tries yeah. to answer oh, yeah, in the last few sure. episodes, especially. Um, but it takes a long, long time to actually get to the meat of those questions. And in the interim, like, if that show came out in 2017, the critics would be like, so he time travels until he does a good deed, and then that activates the time travel machine? <laughs> what is, what the fuck? Um, but it, it definitely works for... But this is the episode where... I think it's the only one where he doesn't jump into just some rando. He jumps into himself. Yeah. Well, he also leaps into Al at one point. Yes, that is true. Um, so he does. Kind Shit, of, that's a good one, too. I know. That's a really good one. All right. So let's talk, drill down in this episode. He okay, jumps into his so young boy form. The big thing with Scott Bakula is bad. <laughs> I would think you would be able to say his name. <laughs> By the way, shout outs to Scott Bakula and, and to Lin Manuel, who, who, uh, oh my got us, got, got uh, Rachel a very sweet message. Issued a, a personal good luck message 
I also got to talk to him on the phone, like during the Tonys. God, that was the best. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So the big thing with Scott Bakula, uh, who plays Sam Beckett is that he is this very moral, honest man, uh, which is kind of the only way this works because he doesn't go into different places and kind of mess with things or exert his power. Now that said, he gets a lot of smooch meat. He does. He gets a but lot that's of smooch he's meat. He's in the moment. He's inhabiting the person, and it's it's to get the job done. But it does yeah, raise some he's, questions. He's smooching for for the, the spirit. Cure. Yes. Um, <laughs> so so when he leaps into himself as a as a young man in Elkridge, Indiana, he's kind of overcome with the opportunity to not just address. The immediate wrong, which, as his uh, companion uh, Al says, is to just win the basketball game. The, uh, yes, very low. Uh, first of all, fuck off, Ziggy, because this is like a really <laughs> low stakes. It's like you can't even give him like some high priority well, thing to so do while he's trying not to get tempted to the change. The argument is is that the team initially lost the state basketball championships denying a lot of the players on the team opportunities to get scholarships and the small town an opportunity to be buoyed by the success. Okay, sure. So the idea was that there were more stakes, but you're right. Uh, not especially complicated mission. I mean, um, you have to win a basketball. I couldn't, I couldn't accomplish this. I'd be like, sorry, Al, we'll get the next one. Well, sometimes he has to like leap into a woman and give birth to a child. Like it does get I a little more I think it's harder to win a basketball. <laughs> okay. It would be easier for me to give birth to a child than it would be for me to win a high school <laughs> basketball game. A hundred percent. Definitely for sure. Uh, so Sam, this is surprising to me and, and I don't know that they really explain it, but Sam typically, as Griffin mentioned, when he leaps has very little memory of history and his own, um, personality and history uh, because the idea is that the time travel has quote Swiss cheesed his memory. But for some reason, when he leaps into himself, he's like crystal clear focus. So he, while there in his 16 year old body is trying to help his father who was a smoker and dies young, his brother who was killed in Vietnam and his sister who ended up marrying an abusive alcoholic. So it's just him frantically trying to address all this in the like week he has at home. God, this is a, this is, this episode is a, is a well, it's a two-parter yeah. too. Actually, the second part, he ends up going to Vietnam with his brother. Uh, so that's. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah he, the second part of this episode is that he, he travels there. It's such a great like payoff in a way because of how it subverts the rules of the show so completely. And it, uh, sometimes you can get like this emotional detachment from the situation like i'll be honest rachel and i rewatched the entire series a, a few years ago and there would be episodes where like in the first five minutes i would decide whether or not i was actually going to pay attention to the episode or not because yeah. it's like a low stakes or you yeah, don't form that emotional they do goofy connection. episodes where like he's a magician or he's a stand-up comic uh but this and, one is like you know your dad's going to die young yeah. because of his unhealthy habits and you have a very narrow window of time to try to convince him to ch- turn everything ab- about him by the way his dad played by himself himself yes very good and the musical performance is scott bacula doing imagine by john lennon oh that's right on guitar doesn't the sister become like a hippie or something like that because he changes Well, the sister the- at the time, because it, it's 1969, is a big Beatles fan. And so uh, Sam is trying to, I guess, convince his sister that he knows the future. Uh, and so he plays this God, right. John Lennon song. Um, but so, yeah. So I, I love, I would say, 99% of Quantum Leap episodes. And I've watched the series through maybe half a dozen times. Uh, and I like this episode because it's so emblematic of what works for me about the show, which is that here's this guy who genuinely wants to do good and is trying to kind of put the mission before himself, but has this opportunity to help all these people he cares about. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of brings the dynamic in with Al too, because Al's trying to explain to him, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do. And you just see him over and over again, kind of try and make these little, incremental movements in the direction he wants and then check with Al and Al's like, no, nothing. You didn't my, change it. My one thing with Quantum Leap is I wish that there were 
more episodes like this and the JFK episodes and the Evil Leaper episodes where they're like, all right, we have this strong premise yeah. for the show that we followed for many seasons now. And those are like the best episodes, the ones where they like try to subvert it. And in that subversion, it's so unheard of because you just watched 15 episodes in a row where he was like uh, a mob boss getting into shenanigans at his yeah, daughter's wedding. Or and like kind of a hacky episode where it's like, oh, he's Buddy Holly or he Buddy Holly lives down the street and, and he has to get Buddy Holly to write Peggy. Sue. Or he accidentally gets buddy holly to write peggy see i think yeah. that's how that one breaks down yeah or or he shows chubby checker how to do the twist but then you get these great episodes that and this is something that like all sci-fi media that tries to handle time travel as as an element has to grapple with this idea of like uh you know predestination and yeah. if you alter altering the the past what that means for your future um and Quantum Leap does this expertly, even in the JFK episodes where that is setting up a fucking huge, like, p- potential change for the future. It handles it, like, kind of beautifully mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think this show really gets enough credit for. You say the JFK episode. So Sam leaps into Lee Harvey Oswald. Right. And he is trying to prevent the assassination of JFK. But when he is in Lee Harvey Oswald, he is so kind of overcome with what is left of Lee Harvey Oswald still in that body that he has very little control. And there are scenes, I believe, back in the present with Lee Harvey yes. Oswald talking to real physical yeah, so This is the other thing. So when he leaps into somebody's body, their body appears in the present uh, where Sam would be. And so they're able to get information sometimes from that person, uh, in the case of Lee Harvey Oswald, he kind of is trying to overtake and escape, if I remember correctly. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, um, and it, that's so this is why I, my interest in science fiction, um, it's very limited. Yes. It's, it's this kind of stuff. It's like back to the future. I, I like time travel a lot. You like some I'll Doctor say. Who. You like, yeah, the, I uh, like Doctor Who. I liked, uh, Orphan Black, yeah. for example. Um, I like kind of, story-based light on the world development kind of stuff. If you hear somebody like the quantum stable light, you're like, bye, done. So yeah. So anyway, so I, I love quantum leap. Um, I do too. I could have brought any number of episodes. I plan to watch that series all the way through again. It's very enjoyable. I would um, say, I would say there's a couple of episodes. It tackles a lot of like, um, racial issues throughout history, which this show was made in what the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The episode so, I'm talking about today was in 1990 and that's the third season. Yeah. And so as you might expect, a lot of those don't necessarily hold up great to 2017 scrutiny, although some of them do. And I think that when you're talking about a show in, in the early nineties, late eighties, yeah. that is kind of swinging for the fences some, like yeah, this, that is not to apologize for the a real ambitious episodes. There are some ambitious episodes, some of which are do not work, do not work <laughs> and are a little yikesy. Yes. But, um, a lot of them are, a lot of them are good. And it's a, I, I think it's a show that got written off as kind of like by like the sci-fi community is kind of like schlocky a little bit like oh yeah uh, like a little touched by an angel maybe a little bit but i i think it's i think it's a really fascinating show yeah it i mean it was competing in a time period you know in kind of a prime time network tv culture where shows like uh alf were popular yeah and i'm gonna say i also loved alf (laughs) i will i will not apologize sci-fi of alf but yeah, the idea was that these kind of outrageous sci-fi premises could kind of hold up on their own without much scrutiny. Uh, so the fact that this, that the show tries to do some real storytelling was always really wonderful to me. SF Sketchfest is just around the corner, January 11th to 28th, and there will be plenty of Max Fun shows there to represent. We're bringing Judge John Hodgman on the 11th. Jordan Jesse Go with special guest Andy Richter on the 12th. Schmanners on the 14th. We got this with Mark and Howe also on the 14th. The Greatest Generation and Friendly Fire Podcast Super Show on the 17th. Pop Rocket host Guy Branham's talk show The Game Show on the 19th. And One Bad Mother on the 21st. You can learn more about these shows and get tickets at MaximumFun.org slash SFSketchFest18. Get your tickets now. Can I do my second thing? 
Yeah. I've been thinking about this one for like two weeks and I'm so excited for it. Uh, it is another music thing. It is a YouTube video. I don't want to tell you, I'm not going to say the title of the YouTube video because it'll give it away. So I just want to describe the YouTube video and then maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. If you haven't, we may need to stop and watch it real quick so okay. that you can be on board for what I'm about, what I'm laying down here. Is it a uh, peanut butter jelly time? It's peanut butter jelly time. <laughs> this banana is so zany. Um, it's spring 2013 when the video is posted. And there's several versions of this video because it was witnessed from several different perspectives. And in the video, you can actually see tons of people filming on their phones and then kind of like bounce around those perspectives on YouTube because there's a bunch. And there's also a lot of videos sort of compiling all these together. But like to walk you through the timeline of all of these different videos, uh, we see a guy in a gray shirt on a subway train in New York City playing a baritone sax. He's just sort of uh, busking there. And do you know the video that I'm talking about? You told me about it. I have not seen it, though. We got to stop right now and then watch it. Okay. Okay, we've just watched it. That was incredible. <laughs> There's a gray, guy in a gray shirt who will henceforth be known as gray shirt. And he's playing a baritone sax on the New York subway. I think it's on the F train, which I'm basing off the fact that somebody at some point yells uh, live from the F train motherfuckers because of how incredible this scene is. So gray shirt, busking, playing a sax. And this alone is like very good he's uh playing i want you back by the jackson five and if this is all it was like that would still be a pretty dang good youtube video because there's a lot of it kind of encompasses like when you don't live in new york like like the dream of just like there's art <laughs> and performance absolutely everywhere although there is a very distracting kind of dopey man in a white t-shirt well that's another character an important character in the video white <laughs> white shirt bro um who at one point comments that he can't dance for shit i can't dance for shit his shit's very performative, and it kind of feels like he's just trying to latch onto this very good saxophone player, yeah. which is not honorable. But there is something also so redeeming about this video that you know that this guy's having literally the best moment of his entire life. Um, <laughs> so White Shirt Bro is in the mix. Uh, and it's like, I, to me, I think it is actually kind of quintessential, like, what the reaction is to busking on a subway train. There's a lot of people. There's a dude, no joke, six inches away from the horn of the saxophone wearing earbuds, just, like, waiting for the doors to open. Open to let him out and that's fine he's on his own journey right like everybody else but then there are people who are like clapping along to the rhythm of the song and singing along to the lyrics of the song uh because the saxophonist is killing it they're they are doing absolutely wonderful um and it's great and then gray shirt transitions into the bass part of billy jean that boom 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 but obviously it's the saxophone so it sounds different and then in another video we see a different perspective, and that is of Red Pants, who is another character who reaches into a bag and pulls out some saxophone parts that he then starts to assemble and walks over with another saxophone as he walks toward them playing the harmony of Billie Jean. Now things activate, and there's like a second or two in the video where so much stuff happens, like eight people all say, oh shit, at the same time. Can, I want you to close your eyes and imagine you're on that train and suddenly you're watching this great busker and then another guy with a saxophone walks up. My reaction is fear and dread <laughs> that this person's going to be a fuck up and ruin it and make things... Can you imagine anything more awkward than somebody like crushing a performance yeah. like this? I didn't I, where, think about that. When you're busking, like it's got to be so... You're, you're very vulnerable. You're in a place where you probably shouldn't be doing music to a literally a captive audience who some of whom don't want to be there like even when things hit their peak awesomeness in this video there's still people like oh god please i'm just trying to get just trying to get to queens please let me i don't know where the f train runs um red pants walks forward carrying a second saxophone and we get that second or two of uncertainty and then fortunately both of these people are super talented improvisers <laughs> And the next five minutes of this video is just the two of them shredding a medley of songs, improvising yes. the entire time in one of the greatest musical performances I have ever seen done between two strangers uh, on the F train in New York. Uh, they shred the hell out of Billie Jean. There's a bunch of, they, again, like they do some Bee Gees in there, I think. There's, there's a ton of songs. And the reactions on the train are priceless. I mentioned there's somebody who screams that, welcome to the F train, motherfuckers. I think they might be a DJ. They say, like, this is DJ something live on the F train, motherfuckers. This is, like, 
Uh, there's a lot of people just like standing on the benches dancing. Yeah, um, white t-shirt bro becomes the hype man. White t-shirt bro is like <laughs> to applaud. There's parts of the video I, I uh, showed Rachel. I skipped to the last like minute and a half of the video because there is like the, the reactions from the crowd is really really great. The body language, the human metronome that these two form to keep each other on tempo and on the same song yeah. is. I, I've watched this video like 25 <laughs> times in the last like couple weeks, and there's so much like literally genius telepathy happening between these two people uh to make sure that they are making the same sort of and this is this is like big band stuff or you know regular size band stuff of just like following the lead of usually of the drummer like that's why the drummer is there is so you have somebody to kind of append to and without that these two are literally just bouncing back and forth almost like they're boxing kind of but they can like follow each other's rhythm in that way just by looking at each other uh the way that they like move their horns back when they're letting the other person like take on a solo and moving it forward when they have something to inject like there's so much stuff going on there that is so infinitely fascinating to me um and it doesn't always work there's like 30 seconds of the video that i skipped over when i was showing it to you where they kind of lose the plot a little bit (laughs) and then they kind of like stop and start a new song without missing a beat and get back on it for the finale of the video which results in a literal back and forth like you play a phrase i'll play a phrase you play a phrase i'll play a phrase into this huge finish that is so fucking dope and unbelievable (laughs) um if it's a hoax which like I googled to like make sure it wasn't, oh, yeah, and was there was there that. was nothing that popped up about this being a hoax. Um, I have to believe it isn't because it's too beautiful and perfect. If you Google and find out, please don't send it to me and say like, "Well, I hate to burst your bubble." Don't fucking burst my bubble. It's like one of my favorite bubbles. Well, and their reaction. Griffin pointed out their reaction at the end when they finished it's playing. So good is so believable that these are strangers because they just kind of shake hands and kind of they awkwardly high five over <laughs> yeah. their big big horns that they're holding, and then they. Start start to walk away but it's this beautiful i'm not joking right now it is a beautiful human moment and this video is full of i think human moments at their absolute peak and i think that's why i treasure it so much and why i watch it so much is because it is like it is humanity affirming in a very genuine way it's like before sunrise. It's kind of like before sunrise. You definitely <laughs> want these two to just fall in love and start, start like a, a new jazz trio together. Um, but they, they can't like, they can't break away. Yeah. And, and the reason I think that's such a beautiful human moment is because I think they both realize that this is a, once in a lifetime, not even once in a lifetime, once in a generation, maybe, because <laughs> I I haven't seen another Subway Sax battle video. So there, this is not happening very frequently. They just had this really profound moment and they're on a train and the nature of trains is that you get off of them at some point when you reach their destination. And so this is a very tip. You're right. This does have a lot to comment. Like, <laughs> right? for there is an end point to this thing. And acknowledging that they both kind of just like start to walk away but there's this reluctance to like gray shirt like kind of like pumps a fist like confused like he does not know how to like end this interaction with red pants who they have just created this train full of memories with it is a beautiful 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 video that is it's i'm almost getting teary talking about it because like um it, it 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 obviously like i said like it doesn't happen that often but the fact that it did happen uh-huh. is so like i have things like that in my life very very few that i'm like the fact that that was able to happen the fact yeah. that that actually e- existed at some point in our in our world is so like magical and so well, great and it loses so much in the retelling like if if gray shirt went home and was like oh yeah i was playing and this other guy started playing and we played together for a while like that doesn't capture the the kind of the magic. No, of but it. the the forty cell phones that people yeah. <laughs> use to to record it, um, obviously obviously did, and that's a cool aspect too of just like the the, the good compilation videos, just like kind of like bounce between these these different viewpoints. It is it is a remarkable video. It is, I mean, it's fresh as fuck. Like it's i i enjoy a good sax and a good sax duet and this is like really good music but like there's there's just so much to love about the video though not just the music but like socially and culturally speaking like it is a it is a beautiful thing
Okay, my final uh, wonderful thing this week is a poem. Okay. Uh, it is a poem by Lee Young Lee. Uh, it's from his first collection of poems, which is called Rose and was published in 1986. Uh, the reason I picked the first collection of poems, Rose, is that I totally fell in love with it when I was in grad school. It's one of those books of poetry where almost every poem in it was my favorite. Forgive my ignorance because I, you know me, like I don't know a whole lot about poetry. Is, is Lee Young Lee a, f- a particularly like no. widely spread celebrated poet or is it sort I of an underground jammer? I wouldn't think so. Okay. Um, I, he has been in the game for a while. Uh, I believe he teaches. Yeah. I, I'm not aware that he's still writing today. I guess his last book came out in 2008. Okay. So it's been a while. Um, well, maybe he's just prepping for that big that was hey babe 2008 was a decade ago (laughs) wild bro wild dude griffin i'm getting in my poetry corner right now i'm over here can i not do it's really hard for me can i not do that to have you and your we are going to go enroll in a night school class on how to make the DJ noise. <laughs> we are going to have an episode that is just us face to face practicing the DJ noise. Cause I just oh, went like, yeah. and me, I go like, bow, 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 bow. which is, which yeah. is not anything. Anyway, Lee Young Lee. Oh God, I'm so far away from the poetry corner. I need to get back in. I know. Let me scoot my chair closer. <laughs> That's my chair scraping across the People ground. People love when we do sound effects. So can what the, is a poem. <laughs> uh, so I was going to read the whole poem, if that's okay. It's um, it's only four stanzas. Okay. I don't um, know that could mean anything, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> a stanza is like a paragraph. Sure. Um, but stanzas are typically I, shorter. I know that word from church, actually, from like hymns and stuff, because hymns are typically separate. I mean, all music is probably separated into stanzas. I don't know. But we had a music, a minister of music, who had this very dramatic way of announcing where in the hymn, because you don't always sing the whole hymn. Like some hymns are like eight stanzas long and it gets a little long in the tooth. So he'd draw, he'd tell you where to hop in and it would do so by like, you'd sing a stanza and he'd go, fourth stanza every single, every Sunday, like several times a Sunday. Third stanza. Can you announce the stances? Yeah, as you this, that doesn't really happen in okay. poetry. That would really throw. God, off the I reading. walked away from the poetry corner again. I went to the <laughs> church corner. I'm walking back. It's very sticky. Yeah, the there's corner. a lot of syrup on the floor. <laughs> I had a pancake accident again. Again. Are you referencing the pancake accident you had with our cat? Oh, it was a waffle that accident was a waffle on the cat. Accident. I dropped a waffle of syrup. It, can you we read a poetry? <laughs> Uh, this poem is called From Blossoms. From Blossoms comes this brown paper bag of peaches we bought from the joy at the bend in the road where we turn toward signs painted peaches. From laden boughs, from hands, from sweet fellowship in the bins comes nectar at the roadside, succulent peaches we devour, dusty skin and all comes the familiar dust of summer, dust we eat. Oh, to take what we love inside, to carry within us an orchard, to eat not only the skin, but the shade, not only the sugar, but the days, to hold the fruit in our hands, adore it, then bite into the round jubilance of peach. There are days we live as if death were nowhere in the background, from joy to joy to joy, from wing to wing, from blossom to blossom to impossible blossom, to sweet impossible blossom that is very good isn't that beautiful i love when you bring poetry to the show because i feel like i'm legitimately getting an education and i'm not being like <laughs> yeah coy when i say that like i hear that poem and obviously like i feel like i lack the language to really dissect it necessarily but i get why you fell in love with it which is interesting yeah so one of the first poems i loved um was the red wheelbarrow by william carlos williams Okay. Which is the so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow. Yeah. It's very short. And it's this kind of kernel of a very simple idea kind of telescoping out into this like great, uh, profound, 
statement about life or existence. Um, you know what problem this one reminded me of? What? Is the um, the plums, I ate your plums one, because yeah. that one also had a fruit in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, took me a while to figure out why it clicked with me. That's also William Carlos Williams. Right. He wrote a lot about about. Well, I like this one better because this one doesn't make you feel guilty for eating the fruit. <laughs> um. <laughs> is there a poem about apples? I'm sure there is. Okay. So anyway, uh, so this poem kind of starts out with what I consider kind of your basic poem thing. Like, oh, you ate some really good peaches. Um, but there's this turn right in the middle uh, that kind of pops off with the to carry within us an orchard that is a very good line oh my gosh i love that line um this idea that this this moment becomes so meaningful when you think about kind of how carefree it is and how much joy is carried in it uh and i love that and and lee young lee's poems do that over and over and over again. Um, he's really good at kind of capturing this very present, detailed image and then taking it into this kind of profound place. Uh, and so I love, I love that whole, that was his first book of poems. Like that poem is so meaty. Uh, and all the poems in that book are like it. Uh, but yeah, so I, I wanted to, I wanted to bring that. I find, I've never really been intimidated by poetry. I know a lot of people are, uh, because it's, for me, it's like visual art and that I'm okay if I don't get everything. You know, if I look at a painting or if I read a poem and yeah, that's maybe a healthier way to think it. Cause I can't like I for me, if I read a book and I don't understand the context yeah. of the book, I get f like very frustrated at it. And that's for like, um, that's for like prose. Like if I can't grapple with the meaning of the thing, which is also kind of fucked up because words and prose is not just a vehicle for meaning right it's also like there you should enjoy just reading the prose so like that's a wrong-headed way of thinking about prose but in poetry especially if i'm like i don't get it it's just about it. <laughs> or i feel like an idiot because i feel like i'm not dissecting it in the correct way which is i feel like the the joke of just like what? oh boy that must have been one dang good peach but at the same time i think you could boil this poem down into wow that was a dang good peach <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> no. There's obviously a lot more to it than that, but end of the day, let me shorten the poem. What's that poem about, Griffin? Dude ate a great peach. <laughs> Griffin and I have had a conversation about the plums in the icebox poem. Uh, and I believe it's called This Is Just to Say. Yeah. And he was like trying to get me to kind of explain at a fundamental level, like, how does this cross over from an observation into a poem? And I said, well, when I read that poem, I get really horny for plums. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I feel like that's, that's what makes something a poem. If you have yeah. an emotional connection, if you are very present when you are reading it and you feel not just transported, but you are feeling a feeling that is beyond just the initial description of what is being yeah. identified. That's for me, that's a poem. So this is, this is my thinking is indicative of a lack of education about poetry because you expect it to be, you expect every poem to be like about life and love and death when sometimes or, it can, it can be about, you know, a, a very good plum or a very good peach. Or there's a lot of bad education about there, out there about poetry. Yeah. There's this feeling of, oh, you didn't get it or, oh, this is what the poet is saying. And, you know, period, end of sentence, close the book. Uh, and, and my thought is like, if, if you get anything out of it, you know, that resonates with your experience or, you know, connects you to something you didn't feel before, um, that's, there's value in that too. So this one made me horny for plums, which is weird because it's a peach poem. <laughs> it's a peach poem. It's a peach poem. It made me horny for plums and it gave me like a metal taste in my mouth. Well, stone fruits, you know, it's, there's a similar horniness. I guess so. That is sort of. They did both pick nasty fruits, if you want to get down to it. Why not a wholesome fruit like an orange? Huh? Huh? With its chaste rind? <laughs> it's beautiful, Griffin. I can do poetry. It's easy with your chaste, chaste rind, rind and dribbling juices and the weird white part in between. 
Nobody likes the weird white part in between. I do. Wrap that stuff all over my nope. tongue. You're you're walking away from it. <laughs> I had it there for a little bit. It's hard to live slam like that. Yeah, you're getting a little into the, my name is Griffin, and I'm here to say. <laughs> <laughs> I like oranges in a major way. <laughs> uh, thank you for bringing that great, great, great poem. Yes, it's it's incredible. Uh, I find a lot of value in the poems that start from a very accessible place and turn into something huge. And that is a great example of that. Yeah. Uh, let's do some submissions from our friends back at home. Because my tea's getting cold and I want to wrap this jam up. I know I've said jam a lot this episode. I think it's because we just talked about peaches and I love peach jam. This is one that was sent in by Gus. Gus says, my family has a wonderful tradition I want to tell you about for our New Year's Eve party. We get everybody at the party, both old and young, to come out in the snow and play a rousing game of rubber chicken football. There is one large garbage can for the goal and only one rule. Be nice to the chicken. If you break that rule, you have to go to the penalty box, usually a hay bale, and sing a song praising the chicken. What it becomes every year is an anything goes Calvin Ball meets Hunger Games snow battle. There really is no better icebreaker. I think that was almost like a almost a Mr. Freeze-esque snow pun. Uh, <laughs> that was from Gus. I like this. That's you got to so jam. Awesome. You got to slam and jam this rubber chicken right in that garbage can. But if you are not nice to that fucking rubber chicken, you're going to sit on that hay bale and sing a song about how great it is. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. That's a fun game. Did you ever like, I feel like I might know the answer to this, but did you ever have like a sport, a sporting like holiday thing? Cause like I used to play like basketball on Thanksgiving and then with the Smurls, we'd do some Thanksgiving football. You are making a face at me. <laughs> All right. I'm asking you to picture that happening. Okay. Uh, here's one from Emily who says, for me, one of the most wonderful things about this time of year is waking up after a fresh snow and going outside to see all the animal tracks that were left the night before. Where I live, the majority is birds and rabbits, but every now and then there will be some footprints from a neighborhood dog or cat. There's something about finding tracks first thing in the morning while everything is still quiet and untouched that feels like a Ghibli movie or Ghibli. I've still never, I love all their films so much and I've never really learned how to say it. Um, this is very nice. I was thinking about snow because we got about 45 seconds of snow on New Year's Eve here in Texas. Yes, we did. Um, I think I like looking at it. I think I like like the ambiance and the quiet of it a well, lot. Well, you probably mo- know you like looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I like that more. I mean, oh. more than touching it with my delicate thermoreceptive skin. Mm-hmm. I like looking out the window and it's like everything's changed and there are little little tracks in the snow. Yes. And that's very nice. It's very pretty. Then yeah. touching it with my thermoreceptive I, skin. I do that not can miss touch. having cold, wet socks in Chicago. No. Chicago you went through a lot of my socks. Uh, here's one last one. And this is a Christmas one because we didn't get a ton of submissions in the last couple of weeks because everybody was off celebrating the holidays. But I liked this one so much. It's from Kaylee who says, my different slash unique Christmas tradition is something I do with my British grandparents called Christmas pie. Imagine what this is. You're wrong. <laughs> Everyone goes to the dollar store pharmacy and a uh, dollar store or pharmacy and gets small weird gifts, wraps them, then attaches a long ribbon to each. Then we put them in a bowl with a special cover so you can't see what's inside and we take turns picking a ribbon and pulling out the gift Ooh. attached. We all pay attention to who got the good stuff, chocolate, etc. And then when we get all the gifts uh, and they have been opened, the cutthroat trading begins. That's fun. It's fun. Putting a little like little wrapping paper over a bowl and then pulling ribbons out and seeing what's inside. It's mm-hmm. like a little mystery box. Yeah. But it's a mystery bowl. What a great idea, man. People are so good at coming up with these like little creative traditions. I know you never hear about these no. in the mainstream media. <laughs> uh, what is the email address if people want to send you their wonderful things? It's wonderfulpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. Hey, thanks to Bowen and Augustus for use for our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to it in the uh, episode description. Uh, hey, how about a, a round of applause for MaximumFun.org? I was looking at you to talk about MaximumFun.org because <laughs> okay. I had a little burp I, wondered, I was doing. I wondered if... I wondered... Wait. <laughs> <laughs> I did the class, and the claps mean I edit everything out before. And now people are going to know about my secret burp I did. It was a little one. I drank some tea, to, tea a weird way. And now everyone's going to know about my ding burps. Uh, thank you, MaximumFun.org. It's too late now. <laughs> for hosting our show. I wanted to bring up uh, a particular show to listen to. 
there were some people in our uh, wonderful Facebook group talking about books for 2017. And Jesse Thorne popped in and said, hey, you guys should listen to Reading Glasses. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's a great suggestion we should bring to our show. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to recommend Reading Glasses if you are a book lover or a book enthusiast or a book interested person. For sure. You should check it out. There's a ton of great shows on there. Just go check it out. Go check out all the shows. And if you want to hear other stuff we do, you can go to McElroyShows.com. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, yes. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank happy you. New Year. Happy New Year. I want to say big thanks to uh, my dentist, my cat, who's now climbing up the uh, window screen. Do you want to go take care of that? I'll wrap up here. Okay. I promise I didn't say anything <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, big thanks to um, uh, Waluigi, the evil Luigi, uh, out there doing the hard work. Uh, I want to say a big thanks to Boba T. I don't get it, but I'm glad that you're out there Did doing that. Did I hear that. you say Waluigi? Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And together we present Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. We explain the historical significance of everyday etiquette topics, then answer your questions relating to modern life. So join us weekly on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. No RSVP required. Check out Schmanners. Manners, manners, get it?